2: Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the Brendan Gone edition, 62. That's who I think of when I hear the number 62. Who do you think of? Maybe it's somebody old school. Maybe it's somebody at your local short track. I don't know, but let me know. I think of Brendan Gone in the South Point car, truck, what have you. Um, he had a lot of success in KN West or Winston West back in the day, but I think he was driving the Napa car back then. And actually, this weekend at Talladega, he's going to make his penultimate. No, not penultimate. Whatever the one more than penultimate is, it's definitely not tertiary ultimate. But his third to final start, I'll put it that way, scheduled in the Cup Series as he was doing all the Super Speedway races this season for Beard Motorsports in the 62 car. He did the Daytona 500, finished seventh, I think, his best career Cup finish. He's doing Talladega this weekend, Daytona later on in the year, and of course Talladega to close out the year as well in the playoffs. So this is the Brendan Gaughan edition. He's a great guy. He was on the first iteration of Victory Lane. Hopefully later on this season, I shouldn't say hopefully. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a Davey Siegel guarantee that I'll get Brendan Gaughan on the show to. To recap his career and his season as well, because he is one of the most charismatic characters that you'll ever come across in not only motorsports, but sports in general. And he's a he's a really smart, cool guy in general. So Brendan Gone edition of Victory Lane, that is episode number sixty two. We're gonna recap Homestead Miami Speedway briefly, very briefly, look ahead to Talladega Super Speedway, and most importantly, pay homage to three legends who are now going to be enshrined into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I won't spoil it, even though you guys know who it is by now. You'll have to wait till later in the show to hear who it is. So we will start this episode as we start every episode of Victory Lane. And last time, I think last time I was home, so I didn't have to muffle my you-know-what, but I'm back at my girlfriend's parents' house in Delaware, so I will have to grab this pillow. You probably heard it there, and muffle my good (coughs) old-fashioned Dixie Vodka 400 from Homestead Miami Speedway. We finally got the race in after like four lightning delays. It seemed like it was more than that, but it was so, so damn long. Um, So we ran five laps, stopped because of lightning, cranked the engines back up, stopped again because of lightning. Then we ran again, ran like 20 or so more laps, stopped again because of lightning uh, and then I think we finally got back going. I lost count of the lightning delays. Look, the only lightning that should be present at the racetrack is McQueen. That's it. No lightning in mother nature, no lightning in other former fashions. All I want is lightning McQueen and that's it. But we finally were able to keep the race going from that point forward And I wound up being an okay Homestead race. It wasn't the best Homestead race I've ever seen. It wasn't the worst Homestead race I've ever seen. I wasn't falling asleep during it, but I wasn't jumping off my couch either. Um, I would have loved to see the guys race at Homestead in June. Hot, slick, worn-out racetrack. Tire degradation like crazy, either with the short track rules package that the Cup Series has or the Xfinity Series rules package that we saw two incredible races on Saturday and Sunday before the cup race as well. It wound up coming down to four drivers, mostly, pretty much all night long. It was Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Blaney. There were there were a couple other people that were making some hay up towards the top five and contending for the lead, but they didn't really have race-winning speed. So they, they were the four, and it winds up being Denny Hamlin, who delivers once again the third time in his career at Homestead, third time this season, and 40th time in his Cup Series career that he graces Victory Lane. This is a big win for him number-wise. 40 is a big number to get to in any form of racing, especially the Cup Series, and he ties a Hall of Famer, a guy who he's been linked to in the past for being, quote-unquote, the best guy to never win a Cup championship, Mark Martin. Big night for Denny.
3: It's a good number. It's a it's a number that uh, I've been looking at for quite a few years. And at one point I didn't know if I'd get there, (laughs) but um, you know, you've adjusted, I've adjusted my goals since then. And, and um, you know, there's a bigger number I'd like to get to, but uh, you know, we're just, um, we've been on a roll these last two years Um, and myself and Chris has got a good thing going. um, And it just works. I mean, we, we have those crazy races like we had last week, but then, you know, we, we come back and, and do something like this, so uh, I, I don't know. It just um, cars are driving good. Um, you know, I still don't think that we're at the top of our game uh, with our team uh, yet. I think we're still got some room to get better. So I'm pretty happy that uh, we're able to reel off some wins right now, given the circumstances.
2: Did you guys see the MJ shrug that he did at the end when he was being interviewed by Fox on, on the front stretch, and then afterwards? Right before he hops on Zoom with us, he tweets out a Conor McGregor gif of him doing the swag, confident walk in the octagon. So I was like, damn, Danny's feeling some type of weight tonight. And I I think I was pretty sure that the beef that he had with Corey LaJoy this week had something to do with that gif and with that Jordan shrug. So I wanted to ask him about both of those things, and he gave a pretty candid answer. Hey Denny, the MJ shrug at the end. Don't think we've seen that from you before. After a win, where did that one come from? <laughs> uh, well, I knew he
3: was. I knew he was watching. Um, <laughs> he just, uh, you know, I looked, and uh, he was one of the first guys to text me. So, it, uh, you know, why not after a performance like that? Uh, after a shitty one we had last week, you might as well live it up a little bit.
2: Fair enough. And um, that also with the McGregor gift that you tweeted after the race. It, it feels like you're – it seems like you're feeling some type of way after this one. Is it? Is it too much to read into the situation and think that the stuff on Twitter this week played into that at all? Well,
3: I mean, I'm motivated. Um, I'm, I'm motivated more than ever. And, and you know, like I said to my crew chief, um, you know, no matter what's said on social media, he's always going to get the best out of me. And sometimes, and sometimes, like MJ says, you find a way to motivate yourself. And uh, certainly there was a little extra motivation.
2: As I said in the middle of that soundbite, fair enough on both accounts. So I thank Denny for his honesty there. And um, thanks for Alan Cavana for um, giving me some some cachet on Twitter and pointing out that it was my question. I, I always appreciate when journalists do that because I want to kind of like give them their due and they give a good question or a good scoop, good story, whatever. And I appreciate when they do it back to me. It's kind of like an affirmation, you know. And Dale Jr. actually said this week on um, – oh, no, you'll hear it in, in a soundbite. He gets at, he, he feeds off of affirmation and I kind of do the same thing. That's an aside. Anyways, let's get back. Chris Gabehart. He's the man atop the pit box. And this was, I believe his first race back from suspension after the ballast fell off the 11 car and the Coke 600. And he wins right off the bat. I think, um, maybe he was at Martinsville. I don't really remember, but fact of the matter is he's now won nine times with Denny Hamlin in their first 44 races together. That is now tied with Kyle Busch and Adam Stevens' record of nine races won in their first 44 together. And I think one race went ahead of Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, who had eight wins in their first 44 races together as a pair. I think it's pretty safe to say that Gabe Hart and Hamlin right now are in the top three of driver-crew chief pairings in the sport, and I'd probably put them against the 18 and the four team. But here's the race-winning crew chief, Chris Gabe Hart, on his driver, Denny Hamlin.
1: He's able to get speed out of the cars in in ways that his data traces may not suggest he's getting speed out of it, um, specifically at these 550 style tracks. Um, but you know what what makes it work is the guy's won 40 times now, and, and when I got to him, he had won you know 31 times, and uh, you know he's a world class stock car driver. So uh, I knew with with him as my driver and FedEx as my sponsor and Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota backing us, that I got I, I have a good enough driver to, to win every single race, every single weekend. So when, when you have that level of trust, and I've not got to work with a driver like that as a crew chief yet, and that's nothing against you know the guys that I've worked with in Xfinity. It's just they didn't have the level of experience and, and resume that Denny Hamlin had when I came to him. So it just made it really easy to sit down and go to work and say, hey, we're going to figure this out together and I don't need you to change. I need you to listen. You know, uh, I'm going to point things out and we're going to talk about it. And, you know, no different than me on the crew chief inside setup wise. Of course, I pay attention to what my teammates do. But at the end of the day, we trust in our own abilities and focus on our own abilities to um, make our race cars better or drive our race cars faster. And I think that's our strength.
2: Chase Elliott came home in second place. The audio that was posted on nascarmedia.com did not work for me, but there wasn't really much to unpack with him. He said it on TV and he reaffirmed that statement in the Zoom teleconference. Basically, he was asked about Joey Logano holding him up as laugh traffic when he was trying to hold Denny at bay behind him. And he said, quote, I just need to get through lap traffic better. That was it. No further elaboration. And we could kind of all see where he was coming from with that and what he really meant. Um, but Joey did hold him up and he admitted so this week to sporting news who got the story. Basically, look, he took away a win away from me at Bristol. I took a win away possibly from him at Homestead and that's how it's going to be. Um, and that caused a lot of backlash from fans on Twitter as literally anything does. But I think that's an eye for an eye and I think they could probably call it even now. Anyways, Ryan Blaney comes home in third place. Yet another top five finish for Blaney this season. He's been so close, him and Todd Gordon, to getting to victory lane this season. Brad Kozlowski's done it a handful of times, a couple times. So is Joey Logano. Ryan Blaney's just sitting there in these Team Penske meetings like, yeah, it's great that you're winning. I want to too. But I would argue that he's actually been the most consistent Penske car this season in the 12 camp. It's getting close for them, but they just got to finish out the deal.
3: It's bringing Good Cars Racetrack. That's um, been executing pretty well, you know. And uh, you know, besides besides Bristol here recently, uh, we've been been finishing really strong. So, uh, and that was just a you know mistake on my part. So, you know, Todd Gordon, oh Twelve Group's doing really good. And, um, you know, we we can run two through five. We just got to figure out how to break through and uh, and get the win. And uh, I think we're really close. to Keep running like this. I think uh, hopefully it'll come soon.
2: Again, a solid race. I wish Lightning didn't really delay things as it did. It didn't blow my socks off, but it didn't put me to sleep. It just kind of was what it was. But Homestead made it a great race with tire degradation at the wazoo, multiple lanes, exciting restarts. There's a lot to unpack whenever you go to Homestead. It was just so weird to me that it was June and you were racing at Homestead and there was not a champion to be crowned after the race. There was not going to be a celebration um, for the championship and for the title being hoisted by somebody, that just felt wrong to me because I think it was the first time since 2001 that the final race of the season was not in South Beach. And I hope that we get back to it someday because I think it was one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I didn't really think it was broke, but I'm all for NASCAR trying new things. So I hope Phoenix has a great time this year in November, hopefully celebrating the champion, but it's going to be weird flying to Phoenix, fingers crossed, knocking on wood that I'm able to, and not going to Miami and Florida in November to celebrate the champion. And also, the best part of this race may have come after Tyler Reddick, who was ripping the top all night long, was exciting as hell to watch. He thought the race was over with one lap to go. Check NASCAR.com or their YouTube channel for the audio. But basically, he took the white flag, let off the gas, and, and keyed the radio and said, hey, guys, great job. Sorry, I couldn't get any more for you and then his crew chief Randall Burnett and his spotter Derek Nealand were getting on the radio like what are you doing go it's the last lap and I think um Randall Burnett actually said quote it's the last lap comma dog and then Tyler just went and he was like oh my god and then he admitted afterwards like when he took the actual checkered flag he was like sorry (laughs) my bad that was kind of funny to watch but uh Man, Tyler Reddick was fun to watch, and, and I mean, he is the the new Kyle Larson in terms of the excitement factor, as Jeff Gluck has tweeted a couple times, to watch on these mile-and-a-half tracks when the top lane is actually viable and it comes in. Tyler Reddick's the guy to watch. Um, since there's no Kyle Larson in the Cup Series, at least for the rest of this year, most likely, Tyler Reddick has kind of assumed that role as the, the Pied Piper and the Top Ripper, and I'm excited to watch him moving forward. We also had a double dose of the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series raced once, and Arca Menard Series East was back in action from Toledo Speedway. Let's take it as it came in chronological order. Actually, not really chronological order, but first of all, I totally forgot last week to give A.J. Allmendinger and Grant Enfinger their due for winning at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I I was listening to a podcast like right after I posted mine, and they were talking to A.J. Allmendinger, I was like, Oh, stupid. You didn't even talk about the dinger. But the dinger won his first ever race on an oval last week at Atlanta Motor Speedway, which made him eligible for the Dash for Cash this past Sunday, which, spoiler alert, he won. And he wasn't even supposed to be entered in the race on Sunday. So Collar Racing, they won this event in Atlanta. They were like, well, he's eligible for Dash for Cash. We might as well enter him. And they got the $100,000 bonus. So... That's pretty cool for him, but here he was. It's a really big accomplishment for him, a guy who's been labeled as a road racer, a road course ringer, so to speak, to get his first oval win as a semi-retired driver in NASCAR, albeit in the Xfinity Series. Bravo to AJ.
4: Collick Grayson gave me a, a fantastic race car. Um, you know what Matt Collick does for for myself and my family, giving me these opportunities, Chris Rice going out there and working hard on the sponsorship and all the men and women at college racing for building these great cars. So, uh, yeah, I mean the great horsepower from ECR and, and the college racing Chevy was, was hooked up. I just never driven this place in an Xfinity car, but I know how this place races and, and early on just trying to learn how much tire I needed to save, how much I could give up on the restart. And, um, I just felt like we needed track position the whole time. So once I got that lead, it was about trying to get a good restart and then pace myself from there. And uh, I just kept asking for the gap to Noah so I could kind of just two things really base it off of him how hard I wanted to run and then save some tire if uh, if we had a restart because I don't think anybody had tires except maybe the uh, the one car. So uh, yeah, just try to pace myself and then you know the last 15 laps just beg for <laughs> no yellows.
2: And moving down to the truck series, Grant Enfinger gets his second win of the season. I think I saw a stat that in the truck series, and this might be wrong, but I I think uh, my boy Aaron Bearden tweeted it, former guest of Victory Lane. I think he said that at one point, and it probably is not the case anymore because of, um, or maybe it is because I think Kyle Busch swept all the stages in the truck race this weekend. Spoiler alert. Um, I think Grant Enfinger has like 10 playoff points because he won two races at Daytona and now in Atlanta. And every other Chuck series driver has none. I, if somebody's listening and they want to fact check me, please do, because I didn't do my due diligence and research with this. But I was like, what? Is that possible? But, uh, man, Grant Enfinger, pretty exciting finish at the end. I believe it was overtime. I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched some highlights. And, boy, Thor Sports number 98, Grant Enfinger, Alabama's finest. He's, he's kind of muzzled because he's wearing a mask. But here he was after his second win of the season here at Atlanta.
0: It was, uh, it was definitely wild, that's for sure. Uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't lead too many laps, but uh, we led the ones that counted. And, um, man, just uh, unbelievable um, farm paint F-150, really, on the short runs. We, uh, we didn't have everything we needed to make a real run at those guys, at Chase and Kyle there for a, for a long run. But I did think we were decent on a long run. We just weren't, weren't great. Um, but, but on a short run, I knew if it could come right down to it and we, ha- we got through the gears getting got a good restart, I knew we could make it happen. Uh, fortunately, uh, we got got a good restart there on, on the quarter mile that I that I spent a lot of laps on uh, growing up, running legends cars, and able to get through the gears really good. And and uh, Austin blocked me uh, on the back stretch. I, I felt like felt like we could probably clear him either way, but I was kind of glad he went to the bottom. Uh, I haven't ever used that move, but I, but I've seen Kyle and and I've seen Johnny uh, be successful with that same move that, that allowed me to to get around. Awesome, there, and then uh, then it was just a matter of holding them off, and when we had the to, to speed in our F-150 to do that.
2: Xfinity race number one at Homestead Miami Speedway on Saturday. Harrison Burton wins it with a badass restart, as he called it. No Gregson, same song and dance Saturday and Sunday. Really good car, really fast on the long run. Short run, was not able to put the power down quick enough to get up front and stay up front. So it was win number two for the 20 in 2020, even though he's a teenager. I wish he was 20 years old. That would have been a lot of cool numerology. Here's Harrison Burton.
5: Oh, it was crazy. Um, Noah kind of beat me early in the race. Uh, We got in the splitter a little bit, and and he beat me on that first start, and I wasn't going to let him do it again. And I kind of knew what our strength would be versus his weakness. Uh, And it worked out. It was such a great race. I hope for the fans at home, it felt like a great race inside uh, inside the race car for us. I mean, we... Like you said, we, we battled, man. We were struggling early, really bad, really tight. And then my crew chief, Ben Bayshore, made an amazing adjustment and got us to where we were really, really fast at the end on, on the short run. Um, just still need to go to work some. No, it's really, really fast on the long run and, and had that caution not come out, he probably would have come out of there with a the win. So uh, we got some work to do tonight. Um, but that's what makes his team so good is, is – We were nowhere to be found in the first stage, so now that we have a whole night to go to work and and kind of figure out where we need to be, it should be a good thing for us, hopefully.
2: And we went to the truck race on Saturday night after the conclusion of the first Xfinity race. No speeding penalty for Kyle Busch. He sweeps the stages, I think, I'm pretty sure, and wins another truck race. And as he's going to say in this soundbite here, he seems like a little bit annoyed because the 51 truck actually failed pre-race inspection and they had to start at the rear. Um, and I'll also get to that in lug nuts of the week with the penalty report, but they were hit somewhat hard by it. Um, but if he didn't care, he just drove through and whooped them anyway.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I guess, um, you know, some rules were changed over the off season and, uh, the truck we ran tonight, I think ran here at Homestead last year and they just put it off to the side knowing that I would be in it in March and, uh, it's now June, but. Still, it, it never made its way to the fab shop, and um, you know, for some updates or for some bars that needed to be cut out due to NASCAR changing the rules. So we missed it, and uh, came down here with that bar in there, and I guess they wanted to prove a point. So we had a big penalty, bigger than probably it would have been if there was another driver in the truck, but um, we'll take it and move on. Um, Kick everybody's ass anyway, so uh, great night for our Cessna Beechcraft Toyota Tundra. It's cool to get out there and run how we should, and. Um, you know how how we know KBM trucks have have the speed to do.
2: And Xfinity race number two, Sunday afternoon before the start of the Cup Series race. As I said, same old song and dance for Noah Gregson in the nine. Um, really fast on the long run. He looked to have the win in the bag. A late caution brings out a yellow flag. Overtime, Chase Briscoe in the 98. They beat the nine off of Pit Road. He loses the lead. And Chase Briscoe holds on for the win, his third win of the year already in, what, 10 races, something like that? And he said pre-race to the Athletics' Jordan Bianchi that this is a prove-it-year for him. He needs to prove that he can win races on a regular basis and that he is ready for a top-tier cup ride, whether that's Stuart Haas Racing, whether that's the Wood Brothers. But he wants to show Ford that their investment in him is worthwhile. And I think, personally, he's doing that and then some. But he, he was asked about that, and he said that, well, I, I still want to win more, but I believe that I'm on the right track to doing that and showing the people necessary that I can do this.
5: Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. But you know, the sad thing is I feel like we could have six six wins right now. You know, you take yesterday. I feel like yesterday we were the best car. I didn't feel like we were today. Um, and then you take Atlanta. That's another one that, you know, we threw away. And, you know, Bristol or Daytona could have went either way. So, you know, I feel like we could, we could have six wins out of ten, but – you know, to have three um, is good. You know, we just got to execute. Um, you know, I feel like lately we've been beating ourselves a lot. You know, that's me included. So, you know, it's it's nice to, to kind of make a statement. Um, you know, and, and not make a statement, but just kind of back up. You know what I said that I, I feel like truthfully I can I can win that amount of races, and you know we're off to a really good start. We're not even halfway yet, um, but it's a good start. So we just got to keep doing what we're doing. We knew at the beginning of the year was kind of better racetracks for me, and. You know, we're going to go to a couple of tracks that were kind of struggle for me. So it's just a matter of if we can kind of figure it out there and, and maybe steal a win, kind of like we did today.
2: And I'll get to this in the penalty report for lug nuts, but uh, let's just talk about it right now. So on Saturday, before the race, the first one, the big-ass ballast, <laughs> big-ass ballast, put that on a t-shirt, fell off of the 98 car. And how did we know it was them? Besides the fact that Dale Earnhardt Jr. radioed and said, I think the ballast just fell out of the 98 car. Fox zoomed in on it, and it had a big old number 98 on it, so we knew it was him. So crew chief Richard Boswell, car chief Nicholas Hutchins, and engineer Darren Vanderley, they were all suspended four races for that ballast that fell off. So that was on Saturday. They had to scramble to get a new crew chief, a new car chief, and a new engineer at the racetrack to help Chase Briscoe and that number 98 team. So it's pretty convenient that they had a good old guy who's won a cup championship or two and a few races in his day named Greg Zippadelli that was able to get on top of the pit box like nothing ever changed and put that car in victory lane. It was so cool to see Greg Zippadelli calling the shots and being on the radio as a crew chief once again. And even for Briscoe, I mean, I know that he's told us on this show before that he's a huge Tony Stewart fan. He grew up loving and idolizing Tony. And hearing Greg Zipadelli talk on the radio all the time, so to have him doing that for him and to give him that win, that was pretty special for Chase. But here's the man who called the shots after a little bit of a layoff, Mister Greg Zipadelli.
1: Oh, I, I mean, to me, it's—I you, 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 mean, honestly, I did, I did it so long; um, it was fun, um, especially especially because of the circumstances, right? It, I mean, it just felt good that I could help uh, this young group of guys out and, and be here to help them today. Um, I love this team and, and face it. Just a good group of talented younger guys and, and uh, they work their hearts, their guts out. And uh, you know, it was just fun to, to, to be a, a small part of it today. I'll be honest with you. We had to adjust on it a lot more than, than I thought we did uh, or would have to um, based on as good as it was yesterday, but we were really, really loose. Um, what we were yesterday so we had, to, we had to
2: throw a few things at it and i had mentioned dale earnhardt jr he competed in the race this weekend as well it's his one race a year that he does um that was not the biggest news of the week for dale earnhardt jr we'll get to that um but he he talked to the media afterwards and we know dale he loves to talk this could be the last race ever for him and he talked about how nervous he was entering this race and he also said on the Dale Jr. download the week prior that his plan was to just fly in like an hour before the race, just kind of chill with his buddies, socially distance and hop in the car, go and then fly home, which is like crazy, right? But I think that is what actually happened. And he came home with a top five finish, which I, I was like really impressed by that. But then I heard another take, I think from Jeff Glock on the teardown, which is basically like, what does that say about the Xfinity series talent that this guy, albeit, Sorry, spoiler alert. Now a Hall of Famer um, can get in a car after almost an entire year off, no practice, no qualifying, no laps at speed in a physical stock car after almost a year, and finish fifth and outrun all these regular Xfinity Series guys. Like he was outrunning his teammate Noah Grayson, and Justin Allgaier. Um, he was outrunning College Racing's cars. I mean, I mean, what does that say about Xfinity? you know, and it's, I mean, we get that it's a lot of pay to play drivers, but that was just really interesting. Anyways, we got away from the point. Here's Dale Earnhardt Jr. after his race, speaking about the run that he had and whether this may be the last time we'll see him behind the wheel.
6: I was really, really nervous. I was, uh, I started to think to myself, how can it be, how can it be possible for somebody to race, uh, in any of the top three series without having any laps and not having driven a car in a year. I know I got some laps and I've been around for a while, but I was uh, I was real nervous. I really was because, um, you know, and I, I thought I knew kind of what the driver's mindset might be in these type of situations over the last several weeks with no laps, no practice, just a lot of pressure, but I really underestimated it's harder than I thought. It's more anxiety than I would have imagined. And so, uh, yeah, I, I was where I was, I was a little difficult to be around the last couple of days. Uh, just out of the day and feeling better. once the things and learn where I was at, on the pace line. I really felt pretty calm at that point, but I worked myself up uh, for the last 72 hours. And, uh, yeah, we run better than I thought we would. You know, when that race started, we didn't have great speed. The car wasn't turning really well, but as we would run, you know, then we just would pass them. I, you know, I don't know that the car drove better as the race went on, but we, we just could hang in there and make some time, I guess, on the older tire. Nothing like Noah was doing. He was incredible on the long run, but uh, real happy to be able to get up there and race for the lead. Had great, great pit stops, and pit crew was incredible. But I was I was happy. If you're going to get in here, you want to do well and put on a good show and then get up front a little bit. Even if you might not win, you just want to do well, and I, I'm pretty happy with how we did.
2: And before we get to the meat of the show, well, I shouldn't say the meat of the show because this has pretty much been the meat of the show, but ARCA East also returned to action this week at Toledo. No surprise that it was Ty Gibbs and Sam Mayer, the two young guys with the best equipment, battling up front for the win, and it was Gibbs who bested Mayer for the win at Toledo. Um, again, no real surprise there. It was a pretty pretty average ARCA race like you would expect. The 18 and the 21 pretty much led the entire way. You had Brett Holmes in third. Chase Cabry rebounded for a fourth-place finish after a spin and some issues. And Nicky Bobby, or as Ruben Garcia Jr. says, Nicky Bobby. Nick Sanchez came home with a top-five finish, too. Shout-out to Justin Carroll with a sixth-place run, too. Uh, Mason Diaz was quickest in practice, but... He had a tranny blowout. Max McLaughlin had some issues as well, but he had a really nice mullet and a cool mask on. Shout out to Ryan Vargas, the rhino. Um, Who else? I'm going off the top of my head here. Giovanni Bermonti was running pretty well late, but then he spun out and got into the wall. Ryan Repco, same thing for Venturini. But uh, hope you guys were watching on Track Pass. I'm uh, still technically an NBC employee, so got to be loyal to the Peacock brand, but That's about all the racing action that we have to recap this week. I hope it was enough for you. You had a cup race, two Xfinity races, a truck race, and an ARCA race. That's a fiver. What more could you want? Race preview this week is very short because there's not that much to preview. I mean, we have Talladega Super Speedway. Cup is in action. Xfinity is in action. And ARCA will also be back. Not the ARCA East or West, but the ARCA Menards Series, or as I like to call them, ARCA National, Um, they were going to have a practice session for the Cup guys because there's a bit of a new, not package, but there's just some new specifications that are in play this weekend. The long and the short of it is the horsepower has been reduced slightly to hopefully prevent cars from lifting lifting off in the air like we saw what happened to Ryan Newman at Daytona in February. And it's going to hopefully decrease tandem drafting, which we saw a little bit at Daytona. Not to the extent that we saw it back in you know 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, where do you stand on tandem drafting? Let me know. Interesting to hear your thoughts. But that's basically the long and the short of it. So they were going to have a practice session to to get the drivers and the teams used to that. But when you do that, you need to bring a backup car. It involves a lot more logistics. It, it involves a lot more money spent with tires and, and whatnot. So uh, the teams, I think, basically hit up NASCAR and were like, look, I mean, we're going to wad up our shit anyway in practice or the race. So, like, let's just save ourselves from ourselves and not have a practice session because everything is, like, 99% the same. Um, and NASCAR basically was like, okay, fine, <laughs> and they just scrapped the practice session. So, that race will be on Sunday, 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Fox, the Geico 500. And the Xfinity Series will race on Saturday afternoon as well. I believe the Arca Menard Series will race after Xfinity. Not too positive about that um yeah no they yeah for sure okay yeah I'm doing it in my head they're definitely gonna race after only 21 cars on the ARCA entry list which is a little bit um upsetting slash worrisome but who knows man I'll be talking with Haley Deegan Gus Dean and um Brett Holmes I think from the Arkham Menard series later today on a zoom availability so keep it locked on my Twitter for that but by the time you're listening to this you definitely that has definitely passed. So anyways, moral of the story is, Talladega Super Speedway, blah. Shout out to Toby Christie and Kerry Murphy of the Final Lap Weekly. This weekend from Central Alabama, 5,000 fans will be in attendance and I believe limited RV and infield camping. Um, Hope I have that right. So if you're going, please be safe. Wear a mask. Please, Lord, wear a mask. Take all the precautions. Please distance yourself from other people. And uh, enjoy the race because, as I said in my Highlight Hump Day this week, you deserve it. So I'm including this in Lug Nuts of the Week, but before we cue the music, we got a lot to talk about, so I don't want to have the music cued and, and and drowning out the important stuff here. The 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductees were announced this week, and boy, do we have a list to share with you. Let's start out with the Landmark Award winner. This man helped develop the Winston-R.J. Reynolds and NASCAR partnership. He helped boost short tracks and grassroots racing across the country for a few decades, I believe. And I think it's it's really, really well-deserved. The landmark award winner for 2021 is Mr. Ralph Seagraves. I didn't know much about Mr. Seagraves, admittedly, um, until I saw his name on the ballot. But I, I listened to other people talk about him. And I think if there was no Ralph Seagraves, there probably would not be a NASCAR today. I think that's fair to say, because when you think about NASCAR and you, you talk about the history of the sport, you cannot ignore and you cannot not talk about Winston and RJ Reynolds and their, and their premier sponsorship of the series. Don't remember how long it went. I want to say from like the seventies to 2003. Um, and that's like an insanely long period of time. So congratulations to Mr. Seagraves and his whole family, a well-deserved honor of getting into the NASCAR hall of fame. The first nominee, uh, or I guess you can say inductee from the pioneer ballot is Mr. Red farmer. He's a four-time NASCAR champion, 1956 modified champion. He won four straight late-model sportsman titles, and he was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers back in 1998. And I think he's, what, 87 right now? Best part about this dude, he still races regularly, like every single week, I believe at the Talladega Short Track. And hand up, I didn't know Talladega had a Short Track. (laughs) But um, he was doing the Zoom calls on NBCSN on the live show. Uh, He couldn't hear a thing. I think it was probably his grandson or his son who was trying to help him understand. And his Zoom call, he had some trophies and some racing memorabilia in the background. And it was cool, too, because Bob Pachris asked him about going in with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and what the significance of that was because of the Earnhardt name. And, you know, maybe he'd say, yeah, you know, Dale Jr. is a great driver. He's been a great dude. Or I raced with his dad. He, he was great to race against and a great friend to have. No, no, no. He went to Dale Jr.'s grandfather. <laughs> That's how old and how long Mr. Farmer has been around. And, um, man, I'd love to share a beer with Mr. Farmer and just kind of sit down, shake his hand, and say thank you for what you've done uh, to contribute to the sport because he seems like he has done a whole heck of a lot in his 87 or so years on this earth. So congratulations to Mr. Farmer and his family on getting into the Hall of Fame. Also uh, an inductee from the modern era ballot, and I'm really glad this dude got in. It's probably because he unfortunately passed away this year, and he was really close to getting in last year, But um, and we'll talk about the new format change for this year. Mike Stefanik, he is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Tied for the most NASCAR championships all time, not six, not seven, not eight, but nine NASCAR titles. He's tied with modified great Richie Evans for that um, accomplishment. He's a modified legend. He's got seven titles on the modified tour. I think he won four in a row at one point in the 90s or early 2000s. And he had two Bush North titles, which morphed into k East and is now Arca East. And um, I, I saw Mike Savannah race like a little bit, but I didn't appreciate and know kind of who he was. And I think my generation, you know, if you're 18 to 35 almost, unless you're a modified great or a modified big time dude, just like Kyle Souza is. And also, if you hear a dog barking in the background, that's because he goes crazy whenever the doorbell rings. So apologies for that. Um, where was I? Mike Stefanik. So what I remember him by is the battle at the beach. It was like mid to late 2000s, I want to say, when the modifieds raced on the quarter mile in the backstretch at Daytona. I think, please bring that event back, by the way, NASCAR. And he got wrecked, and he's getting interviewed by Ray Dunlap, and he's just staring out into space. And (laughs) the iconic line just, quote, that's bullshit. It was so, so damn funny. Um, But on a serious note, I mean, I was actually at New Hampshire Motor Speedway when we found out that Mike Stefanik had passed away. And the way that he was honored, um, I saw Mike Grichy and... um, Mike McLaughlin were in tears and moved by all of this and the modified race was in his honor. It was um it was really heavy time and I learned a lot about Mr. Stefanic during those times and I'm I'm really glad that he got his proper due of getting into the Hall of Fame because again, this is not the Hall of this is not the Hall of very good. This is not the Hall of great. This is the Hall of Fame. And he may not have had the fame that other guys in the Hall of Fame like Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, David Pearson, Ray Evernham, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart may have, but goddamn was he worthy. And uh, he was a hell of a race car driver. Whatever you put him in, he wielded it up front, and he did it for decades upon decades and won nine championships. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm really glad Mike Stefanik got in. So congratulations to him and his family. Uh, Well, well well-deserved honor and overdue, but he will be smiling up from the heavens and uh, knowing that he is a NASCAR Hall of Famer. And let me just say, that is not bullshit. So congrats to Mike Stefanik. And of course, the headliner of the Hall of Fame class from the modern era ballot, along with Mr. Stefanik, first ballot Hall of Famer for a two-time Xfinity Series champion, 26-time cup winner, two-time Daytona 500 winner, and 15-time most popular driver, you know it is already, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Congratulations to Junebug on getting into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Jr. is one of the one of the most famous people in the sport ever. I think that's probably fair to say. Um, what this guy has done off the track outweighs what he's done on the track. And that's not an indictment of his on-track performance because, as I just said, I don't think you've won two Xfinity championships, I don't think you've won in the Cup Series 26 times. I don't think you've won two Daytona 500s. What the guy's done on track should not be diminished at all. Um, But he And I haven't listened to the Dale Jr. download yet this week, but I listened to a little bit of what he had to say um, earlier on on various platforms and just the way that he was able to shoulder the load and, and carry kind of what was going on in 2001 when his father passed away and gaining all of those fans and making it worth their while to cheer him on and the personal growth that he went through while he was leading the sport and didn't even realize how big of a deal it was, it was it was so much. And, I mean, personally, when, when I saw his name on the ballot, I knew he was going to get in, but I was like, eh, I mean, should he really? And then I, I started thinking about it because, you know, w- when you're going into the Hall of Fame, it's look at any other Hall of Fame, right? It's not just players it's ambassadors, it's people that helped the sport grow and contributed to its growth and its fame and its success. I challenge you to find anybody else in the Hall of Fame right now that has done more than Dale Earnhardt Jr., at least in my lifetime, to that end. Um, Let me just tell you why he's worthy. Because his contributions off track are tremendous. Like I said, he carried the sport um, like nobody else could or should, frankly, as what, a 25-year-old kid or something like that in the early 2000s? Um, he was the most popular driver for a reason because he was a cool dude. Um, his last name, Earnhardt, yeah, of course that played into him being a fan favorite, but he could have been, and he admittedly was in his earlier years, uh, D-I-C-K. I don't want to bleep that out, but I don't want to say it either. Um but he was like an asshole early on in his career. He, he had the frosted tips. He was partying all the time. He he was sleeping in. He was drinking beer. He was he was g- getting with girls all left and right. And he finally kind of like got a slap in the face one day and was like, what am I doing here? You know, let, let me figure my shit out. And he did. Um, he had so much success on the track. And that translated once he retired and before he was even done racing to a media empire. Now I can say in Dirty Mo Media. He's, he's contributing to producing positive content on the sport from that side of things with his media ventures. Also, he's in the broadcast booth for NBC. That is huge. You are a huge ambassador to the sport of auto racing, motorsports, and NASCAR specifically when you are the one that is heard and seen on TV week after week after week. Oh, by the way, he owns a perennial championship Xfinity Series team. What more could you want from the guy? And you'll probably say, well, he hadn't won a cup championship or he hadn't won 30 races. Yeah, I get that. And I understand that. And I'm sure he would have wanted a cup championship and maybe four or five more wins on his resume. But he doesn't have them. And he's never going to have them because he's pretty much retired at this point. But you got to understand that the impact this guy has made off track will far outweigh anything that he's done on track or will do on track. Um, And that's just the way it is. And before we go any further, I want you to hear from the two inductees that we had audio from. Here's Mr. Farmer, his 87-year-old self, on what the emotions were like when he finally heard his name being inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame.
7: Well, I kind of had to catch my breath there for a minute. You know, uh, I didn't know whether I'd ever make it into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. This is the biggest honor biggest you'll ever get uh, to get in that. Uh, I of it all the years I've been in it. I started NASCAR in 1953 on the beach course when I ran a Hudson down there on the beach in 53. And I ran two more races on the beach before they uh, built the super speedway. And I ran the last one in 58. So I've been in NASCAR for a long time. And, and you know, I got to run against a lot of the great drivers. I got the Pioneer Award. And that's, uh, being a Pioneer, I'm proud of the Pioneer, to be honest. Be, that, I'm glad they, got, they came up with this Pioneer a bunch but because the, most of the people that uh, put you in the Hall of Fame wasn't even born when we were racing, when I was racing. So they don't really know what happened back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They only see what's happened in the last 20, 30 years that they've been in business. So it was kind of hard to get recognized as a Pioneer. But this new award, I think it's going to be great. It's going to get some of the old fellas back in there you know so you know i got the i had the honor of racing against fireball roberts and curtis turnley joe wedley lee petty buck baker tiny Lunn and and joe all those guys back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and i wouldn't take anything for that opportunity you know everybody said why weren't you glad which is born 30 years later and be racial for all this money i said yeah but those guys can't have the honor that I had to be able to race against get some of the great drivers that started NASCAR.
2: And here's Dale Earnhardt junior. It's a very long audio bite. It's almost like five minutes, but look, man, he's a hall of famer. I'm going to give him his due. So sit back, relax, grab an ice cold Budweiser in honor of Dale jr. And enjoy him taking you through his emotions and feelings of being inducted into the NASCAR hall of fame.
8: You know, when that, when the list of nominees came out, um, a while back, I was uh, so honored to be on that sheet, I'll be honest with you. Looking at the names on there, Harry Gantt and uh, Neil Bonnet and a bunch of other guys, Stefanik, Red Farmer, I couldn't believe my, my name was on on that sheet, to be honest with you. Um, and I know those guys and their body of work, and not just the cup experience and the cup wins, for example, Harry Gantt. Uh, you know, I know what they did to get to the Cup level—the wins uh, in the Sportsman Series at the short tracks, um, all under a NASCAR banner—and you know, so there's there's a lot more to a driver than just that that body of work that they have in the in the top level of the Cup Series, and that's obviously uh, true because of Mike Stefanik being inducted himself and Red Farmer, so. Um, I was just really, uh, I was just, I was good. I was good with just being on the sheet, you know, and and I was gonna be happy with that. And I'm 45, and and relatively young in the grand scheme of Hall of Fame inductions, and so I was gonna be completely comfortable, patiently waiting on whatever opportunity, if my name should ever get called. So, um, uh. But it was really emotional. I, I wasn't that nervous. I had a root canal earlier today, so I was more nervous about that than <laughs> than this induction that was here tonight. Uh, so maybe that was a good thing. Um, but uh, as soon as the net, as soon as the show started uh, on, M- we were watching the NBCSN uh, coverage on NASCAR America uh, for the announcement is, and as soon as the show started at five o'clock, I, I, that's, I got nervous and I didn't expect that because I was wanting to prepare myself mentally, mentally and emotionally to not be selected, uh, because there was some really, um, amazing candidates. So, um, but yeah, I started getting nervous then. And then when my name was chosen, I was just, uh, it was very emotional, even just sitting here right now talking about it. It's really emotional, uh, because um, you just you know I feed off I feed off of uh, affirmation. Uh, someone saying that was a great job. Somebody patting you on the back and appreciating you, and uh, I really really feed off of that and and that affects me heavily in the workplace and in my home life and and, and everything I do. And um, I think that's why I had so much great success with Steve Letarte. Because he was such a great cheerleader, and uh, no matter what was happening or how frustrated he might be with me, he knew how I reacted to that affirmation, and he knew if he wanted to get the best out of me that that would uh, be the best route to take. And this, there's no greater pat on the back or a tip of the cap than than this uh, from your from the industry, from the people that that vote, who are all sort of sprinkled throughout the industry and in the sport. Whether they're drivers or journalists, um, you know, NASCAR industry execs or whatever. So um, I, I don't, um, I, it just, uh, it's such a great feeling that someone feels like that I made an impact on the sport. And I know my numbers, you know, I know the wins, uh, the lack of a championship. I know what my numbers are. And um, I feel like that I was chosen. Based on that, but also on the impact off the racetrack and being an ambassador for the sport. And I really, you know, um, didn't take that seriously early in my career. When I was young, it was just about me and I want to have fun. I want to race and do all those things. But as I got older, I really started to think about the health of the sport and what I could do to make sure that the sport was better every day and um, appreciated Uh, by everybody so um I started to take that more seriously and I think that um I still you know that's why I got into broadcasting and wanted to continue to be part of the sport is but I felt like even even in that role I could have a play in growing the sport and continuing pushing the sport in the direction it needs to go so it's um such an honor and, and I'm now looking forward to uh Whatever that experience is, I have no idea what what this experience like is like to leading up to the uh, ceremony and so forth, and even going through the ceremony is going to be so much fun. And um, here, I've been in the ceremony before, and and it's such a great time because you get to hear these stories of these drivers, and it sort of uh, encompasses their careers all in one evening. And Red Farmer is going to be amazing to listen to. Uh, the story of Mike Stefanik will be incredible to listen to. So. I'm, I'm uh, much looking forward to those and um, celebrating Ralph Seagraves and
2: his impact on the sport as well. So it's going to be a fun night. I just want to say, I, th- I think this new process of electing three drivers, one from the Pioneer ballot, two from the modern era, um, and then, of course, a landmark award winner. I think this is so, so much better than just electing five drivers, no matter how much other percent of the vote they got. Um, because, as I said, this is not the hall of the very good. This is the Hall of Fame, and you should not be elected into the Hall of Fame just because you have to fill quota. That's not how it should work. It makes it more special. You know what I mean? I mean, for you guys that were watching the selection show on NBCSN, let me know how you felt, because personally, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, who's next? And then I realized that that was it. I was like, okay, who is after Dale Jr.? Is it going to be Kirk Shelmerdine? Is is it going to be Neil Bonnet, Ricky Rudd, whatever? And that was it. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, we're done this year. We got three. Like, that's it. And I think it makes it way more special. And not that it would get watered down when there was five inductees every year. But at a certain point, you got to think to yourself, you know, okay, I understand that NASCAR's Hall of Fame started late. And you had to do some catching up to other Hall of Fames and, and, and give everybody's due. To the the pioneers that started the sport and the greats like Petty, Pearson, Allison, Earnhardt, Stewart, Gordon, all those people. But at a certain point, you got to say, whoa, whoa, whoa! What are we doing here? Let's slow down. If we keep electing five people in, you know, we're gonna have freaking John West Townley in a wing of the Hall of Fame. Like we can't have that. So I'm glad that they did this. They they switched up the format, and I think the voters too probably are a little bit glad that they did this. It makes it harder on them, no doubt, but I'm glad that they were able to um, pick three very, very worthy candidates. Because, look, here's the thing. The Pioneer one, it pays homage to the past that people like me, frankly, don't know a lot about or anything. I mean, I didn't know anything about Red Farmer besides the fact that he was on the ballot and he was an old guy. I didn't know anything. And this gives people like me the opportunity to learn about people like Red Farmer and like other people that are on the Pioneer ballot year after year after year. And then you have the the modern era ballot, which is guys that I have grown up watching or knew about or heard legends about. And this way, you're able to put a couple of those guys in and pay homage to your past while celebrating your present and your future. And I, and I really, really like how they did that. So congratulations to Mr. Seagraves. Congratulations to Mr. Farmer. Congratulations to the late, great Mr. Mike Stefanic, And congratulations to Dale Earnhardt Jr., the 2021 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Lugnuts nuts up that week. Cue that funky music, white boy. NASCAR debuted a new role of Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion this week. And it is none other than Brandon Thompson who is going to fill that role. One of my buddies and friends that I've been able to work closely with in my few years covering ARK and k he started out as a Drive for Diversity intern back in 2003 in Nashville, worked his way up. He was the director of NASCAR Touring for the past four or so years, and now he is on the NASCAR executive board. So, Mr. Thompson, I texted you. You didn't respond. It's okay. Congratulations. I doubt you're listening. but uh, Really, honestly, though, really cool to see Brandon Thompson get that. I, I straight up could not think of a better person to fill that role. So I'm really happy for Brandon and for NASCAR for making a great choice. The all-star race has been moved. Hallelujah. (laughs) From Charlotte to Bristol, 30,000 fans are going to be allowed to be in attendance on July 15th in Tennessee. Um, And there was also a bit of a hubbub that was caused this week because NASCAR is going to experiment with the number placement on the door. It is not going to be in the quarter panel. Like Adam Stern said, it is going to be moved back to the rear of the door which allows more room for sponsors and advertising. And look, if more money's going to come in and more sponsors are going to enjoy that, then they'll probably do it. And I'm going to be mad about it, but I'm not going to stop watching the sport because of it, because that's something dumb to that. That's like a hill that's kind of like weird to die on. If it was a quarter panel, that's different because I don't like that. But if it's still on the door and it's, I mean, we'll see how it looks like in real life, but I'm not a fan of it. I probably never will be a fan of it, but that doesn't mean that they can't experiment and try. So I commend them for that. Penalty report. James Small and Chad Johnson were fined $10,000 for loose lug nuts on Martin Church Jr. and Matt Kenseth's cars and cup. Alex Yance for Justin Haley and Jeff Mendering for Brandon Jones were fined $5,000 for the same offense in Xfinity. And Paul Claprod, Ross Chastain's crew chief and trucks, was fined $2,500. Those are all the respective amounts for loose lug nuts. Plus, we mentioned the number 98 team of Chase Briscoe and their penalty. The 51 team of Kyle Busch in the truck series, they were docked 10 owner points for the track bar mount and support, not meeting specifications when they went through inspections. So that's what I mentioned a little bit ago when we were talking about Kyle Busch's truck win this weekend as well. Well, party people, that'll wrap things up for episode 62 of Victory Lane. Those Hall of Famers will be enshrined forever in nascar's greatest historical landmark in charlotte north carolina thank you guys for joining me i tried to get a couple guests on this week um, from the african-american community because i wanted to still talk about the the issues that are plaguing us in, in the country and the strides that nascar has made i was unfortunately unsuccessful in those adventures and claims and whatever word you want to use to get them on the show but i will not stop I want to try to get some more people on to talk about what's going on in our country and in the sport as well. So thank you guys for listening. As always, that'll wrap things up per usual. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family unsubscribe, resubscribe, wink, wink, nod, nod, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google play SoundCloud. Thank you to Kathleen for tweeting me. I know that she was listening. Nobody else did. So like, if you're not, what the, what the hell are you doing? Please. Because I see this thing on SoundCloud. It's weird. It's like it gets so many listens. But I am i don't believe that people listen that much on SoundCloud. So I'm, I'm kind of confused as to how that works. But anyways, uh, I'm rambling. I'll let you all go. Enjoy the racing at Talladega this weekend. Stay safe. Stay inside. Wash those hands. Don't go stir crazy. So if you got to go outside, go outside. Enjoy nature. Keep your social distance. And have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week.